welcome to the show Off the Record. Uh, this is episode number 21, and I'm joined here today by Grant Deacon, the CEO of Unstack. Uh, quick background on, on Grant. He's uh, had quite a bit of an entrepreneurial career. I think initially starting off delivering paper, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, is the CEO of Unstack, uh, his latest startup. And the company just at the end of last year announced uh, 3.1 million funding. So congratulations on that, uh, a grant. Um, the company provides a no-code uh, marketing platform that gives marketers and entrepreneurs the fastest way to launch and scale a business. So, uh, Grant, awesome, awesome having you here with us today. Uh, thanks for joining. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here and uh, really excited to just dig in. Cool. So, um, I'll start off the first kind of question. I uh, had a chance to go through your background, and I know that Unstack isn't your your first uh, kick at the can of being an entrepreneur. So, can, can you can you tell us a little bit about Grapevine and you know any stories you could share uh, about that process of creating that company that you haven't maybe shared publicly before? Yeah, Grapevine was a a roller coaster adventure. I tell people it's like the penultimate startup experience, all the, all the crazy things you hear, good, good, bad, and ugly. Uh, we, we kind of went through, I think at, at grapevine. Um, I didn't start the company. I came on probably about a year in as it was going through a, a bit of a pivot and a rebrand from being kind of an, an agency to really making a full push into tech. And that was my background. It was kind of coming from the, the product and UX side, you know, how could we, take a business that was clearly getting some traction as the influencer space was really, I mean, people didn't talk about influencer back in yeah. 2013. There was no such thing as Instagram influencers then like you hear about it today. Um, so so the, the company was very early on that um, and the, the product was really just this big Google sheet, you know, that like we were, people were manually tracking, you know, video accounts, you know, on YouTube and, and interns, you know, updating things like very, very manual. But, it, but in essence, it was kind of like this really rough MVP, you know, kind of validating these processes and getting some early product market fit. So I came into that company to really help say, hey, well, how do we kind of get out of our own way? And, and, and is there a marketplace play here, you know, where we can build all of the tools to bring those advertisers and those influencers together to, to make magic happen, right? And so, you know, our focus there was, you know, we ultimately became the, the second uh, the second largest way that influencers were, were earning revenue from the work that they were doing, you know, most of them had just been completely dependent on, um, AdSense from Google, right. Or from their multi-channel network, uh, partnerships. And then we came in and said, well, Hey, there's this big sponsorship opportunity. There's no real like consolidated place to find those opportunities. Like that's what we really focused on. And then we, we really focused on the, the performance aspect of that for, uh, the advertisers, which was largely ignored. Everybody was just talking mm -hmm. about like brand exposure, but nobody was saying, Hey, is there an ROI on this channel? Right. Which people talk a little bit more about today. Um, so we had all kinds of crazy experiences there. I, I joined to run products about three years in, I found myself in the CEO role through, um, you know, there's some, basically a big re reset of the business. Uh, the company had, had struggled and, um, we kind of had to do a, a full level set of the business, kind of a full reset. Um, so I'd say a couple of things we probably haven't shared before. Like, you know, one of the, the first things I had to do, I got a call from, from two board members and they said, Hey, we've, you know, we looked at everything, you know, I had looked at it too. And they said, we have to, we have to downsize like aggressively, like, like today. 
Um, and so the first thing I had to do was like literally lay off, I think eight, 17 of our 20 employees. Uh, I remember sitting on, like, it was, just, it was incredibly stressful. And these are all people I was like, I was like friends with these people, you know what I mean? Like we spent all this time with them, you know, um, it was a, it was an awesome place to work. And, uh, I remember sitting on the floor in one of the conference rooms at the end of the day with the lights off, it was like seven 30 at night. Um, and it was in Boston and the, you know, so it was like dark at that point. Um, and, uh, and just being like, man, like it can't get, like it can't get worse than this, you know, like this is crazy. And so, uh, the, the interesting thing about that story is, um, it didn't get worse. It obviously got better. Um, we were able to rebuild a lot of those people that, you know, um, we had to part ways with, they wanted to do amazing things. I like see all their updates on LinkedIn. So friends with many of them. Um, like that was like a really great positive thing to see those people like use Grapevine as a platform to go do their next thing. Um, and then ultimately, you know, we built the company back up, um, and, uh, and it was acquired a, a few years later. And so, um, I think that's an interesting story for, for people to think about. Sometimes it can be really, really tough and you can feel like, I don't know what's next. Um, but they're, they're often, you know, if you stay with it and think about it and, and, and kind of, you know, navigate through, you can get to the other side. Yeah, no, as a CEO, I could relate. You have these like WTF moments. It's like, okay, like it's over. Like, I don't know what else to do. And you gotta just figure out a solution and kind of get through it with that story though. Yeah. I'm curious, like with your history with grapevine and what you went through, what, what are like some big takeaways that you learned through that process that you applied now at Unstack? It could be investors. Well, I think I spent a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's two really, there's two big kind of lessons that, that stick out to me right now as I'm thinking about it. You know, I think, I think one is for startup founders, especially just generally, but especially if you're kind of in the venture side of the camp, you know, where you've got investors and maybe a board, like the board is not just this thing that you report into once a quarter. Like they, you know, I, I think really looking at board as your, as your partners, as people that you can lean on and collaborate with, like bringing transparent, being very transparent as a founder. I think sometimes founders are scared to be like, I, I don't know the answer to, to this, or I'm, I'm stuck, or I have an issue, or we're in trouble over here. Or we had someone quit or we, you know, whatever it is, um, the, the, the board can help you, right? That's, that's their job, right? And so uh, I think, you know, transparency, proactivity, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, it's, it's harder to like, go right at the problem. But I think, you know, I look back at that situation, I'm like, hey, if we had tackled or known about certain things just 90 days sooner, like it could have, we could have potentially avoided a lot of, a lot of challenges, a lot of painful challenges for a lot of people. So I think that's something as, you know, founders listening, if you're in a, you know, if you see something coming around the bend, get in front of it, you know, don't, don't, look away from it. It's not going to go away. Um, and, uh, and I, and I, again, I think being super transparent with not only your board, but
Okay, interesting. And with um, with uh, Unstack now, um, I know you're you're building the company right now. You're growing it. It's it's you know you're launching a lot of new features and you have a great roadmap in place from what I could see. Um, you know, you have that background at Grapevine where you were really focused on like the tech and the product side. So you must have taken some of that learnings and applied it here. But now as like, you know, one of the founder or the co-founder of, of Unstack as an, and as CEO, fundraising is a big part of what you have to do. Um, and I know you went through that round, you know, uh, at, at, the, at the end of last year. Um, how did you make sure, you know, you'd you delegated you know, your work accordingly or split your time accordingly to not be too much stuck in like the whole fundraising uh, phase of, of, of that part of the business. Um, I, I want to know like, you know, it, it does take a lot of time and how did you kind of get not caught up in the process essentially? Yeah, I, I, you know, a few thoughts, I guess there. Um, raising money is not something I enjoy doing. Um, and I, it's so funny because I see, so there are other CEOs or founders that are out there. They're so good at raising money. Like there are people out there that just like, they're just the ultimate like pitch person for their business. Um, and, and, you know, for me, that's not really what I, I don't really enjoy that, that aspect of things. I really, I mean, we raised money because you know, it was very intentional. We need, you know, we have really specific goals we wanted to use it for. Um, and we have some, you know, great investor relationships and people behind us that sort of get the vision and what we're trying to accomplish here. So, you know, my looking at it was, was how do I do this as efficiently and quickly as possible and then get back <coughs> to building the business and building the product versus I, I think, you know, sometimes you can have, you know, founders who get into a cycle of just always fundraising and, and part of that's tough because sometimes it just takes a really long time or maybe, maybe you haven't done it before and so you're like you're kind of figuring out as you go and two months turns to four months turns to eight months and you, and you know all that time is kind of coming away from you know other things ceos can be really effective at right like business development strategic partnerships revenue generation hiring recruiting right like that's the really important stuff and like the, the capital is really just a tool to hopefully accelerate a lot of that so for me, uh, honestly, a lot of it is just how do how do we get in and get out as, as quickly as, as we can on on the capital raising piece. I, you know, I think also a lot of what we considered was like who can really help us. Um, we've got like some really great people involved in, in the business, um, and so you know that you know taking capital from any check is also you know you, you run the risk of maybe not having the right partners in the business. So there is sort of a you know, there's more to it than just, you know, getting through it. You know, you have to, you have to, I think, be intentional with each aspect of it, but just high level, like that's how I looked at it. Like I, you know, with, with, with Grapevine, you know, we were always very like marketing, sales, accounts, management, heavy and, and engineering and product was always pretty under-resourced as like within that organization. We flipped it completely the other way um, with Unstack, you know, so we're primarily, uh, engineering product design, that's probably three quarters of our team. And, and, you know, the other 25% is really in marketing and customer success. Um, and I, I am sure Zach would love more and more resources, uh, there and that will come, but really if you, without the product, right, like what do you really have? Um, you know, and so I think that's really been where we've we focused and with my background, you know, again, I, I love, you know, building the team thinking about the product, thinking about the customer, talking to the customer and being really close there. So that's been, you know, I think how we've looked at capital versus building the business. 
And did you set like a time limit when you did your last raise, uh, just to not you know overextend yourself and set like a specific window of time? You know, we we didn't have like a specific with the the first round that we did uh, when we raised some like really early capital from angels. That was kind of a little bit more on a rolling basis. We said, hey, we want to be done with this by the end of the summer, which typically isn't like a great time to be out raising money, but you know, angels are around all the time. And, you know, we had some, some, again, some great relationships. So, you know, we did that kind of over like a three month period, kind of started in, in June, finished in August, um, sort of thing. This, this second round, um, that we closed in December, we had not really been planning to raise capital. Um, it was something that, that sort of serendipitously happened where we were approached by a couple of different funds. And then, you know, a, tr a traditional process, you would kind of like what you're saying, right? You would say, Hey, we need X amount of capital and we're going to do it over this amount of time. And we're going to line up a hundred meetings and we're going to, you know, like it's a very, to do it right. Like that's a very structured, you know, sort of approach to doing it. In this case, it was like, there were like two or three funds that we were kind of collaborating with, you know, and, and sort of seeing what made most sense and just saying, Hey, like, this is the terms that we would need to make this make sense for everybody. And is there alignment there? And so it was a very different kind of fundraise than what you would traditionally expect. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. I that. think, I we, think so uh, in that case, we, we, you know, we did it over a couple of months. A couple of months. Okay, cool. Um, uh, next question I have is, um, what what should founders, co-founders, you know, or anybody uh, on the team who's going to be responsible for kind of what to do with the money once you get it, once you raise it? Um, are there any specific targets that you're trying to like outline, you know, that you want to hit? And how do you kind of plan that out? Like, what, where does the money go? How much do you distribute to what kind of department or team? Anything you could kind of share in terms of how you did it? Um, at Unstack with the, your your recent round of funding? So I think it's something you want to know before you raise money, right? So again, being super intentional, it's like, why, why do we need this capital? Um, what, and, and, you know, this is where we are. Where, where does it get us? Um, so I, I think both before you raise and through the process of raising, you know, we had an opportunity to, to, to raise more and we actually raised less um, because we felt like, for the stage and the terms and what the, the tool, right? Going back to capital as a tool, like, you know, you have to right size it, I think. And some, you know, some founders will say, hey, I want the highest valuation and the most amount of money. And, you know, that that has pros and cons to it, right? Like you might, you might set yourself up to be in a, in a tough spot down the line where, you know, you've raised at such a high valuation, like if things don't go exactly to plan, you might, might be in trouble. So you have to think about these different things, but, for me personally, um, after we raised that round, you know, there's also a moment I think of like having a bit of a paradigm shift, uh, as a, as a founder where you're kind of shifting out of the, like super bootstrapped, like, you know, really looking at, at every penny being as, as capital conscious as possible to being like, Hey, you know, maybe we need to hire up a couple levels, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, some of these roles, maybe we need to experiment a little more and take some risks, right? Like what are the bets that we're going to place, you know, in order to move a little bit faster. So you do have to, I think the most important thing for me, at least, um, has been like making sure that you quickly, once you get that raise, then you, you really shift, shifting your thinking, even as a, as a founder to be like, okay, like, 
you know, we're now going into a new, you know, I think about it as a book, right? We're going into a new chapter here. Like, this is what, this is what the goals are now. You know, the goals in the pre-seed were different than the goals in the seed. They'll be different goals at potentially an A round or in a growth stage of business. So, um, you know, again, I, I think you have to get your head on straight for each, each stage of the business. Mm -hmm. And when you were um, going through that process in terms of like, you know, where do we invest and things like that? How did you align that with your investors? Because some investors, from what I heard, you know, really want to be involved, like be hands on in terms of some of the, that decision making, whereas some will be like, okay, cool, like, you know, you run the show, uh, um, we'll support you whatever way you want. And then there's also that whole kind of s smart money kind of approach, like, what did you look for also in your investors other than just capital? Two prong question there. Yeah, I mean, I think we were looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, again, I can only speak to my my experience. You know, I know like not all investors are the same. For us, you know, we were really looking. And again, like you know, we had this opportunity where where people had kind of looked at what we were doing and heard what we were putting out there, and conversations like this one that you and I are having, Aram, or you know, other things that we were putting out into the into the you know, into the market and the community. And so I think there was like pretty, like there was alignment early on, you, you know, in terms of, hey, this is where we're trying to take the business. This is how we're thinking about resourcing. This is, you know, those like core questions. We sort of, I think, sussed those out as a part of the due diligence process. Because I think a lot of investors are, are trying to get to like, there's a sort of the high level vision, but then the next sort of thing they're looking at is like, well, how are these founders thinking about the problem and how are they, thinking about solving some of these issues and, and you're building alignment through that process. You're building trust, you're getting everyone on the same page. So, you know, I, I think for us, it was largely, you know, once we got through that in terms of next steps and how the board was involved, it was like, I, I go to our board and say, Hey, like gut check my thinking here, you know, like this is, this is what we want to do. Like, this is, you know, this is our budget. Like it could change. We're still super early. Like we don't, you don't always know what you don't know. You know, you make your best educated guess and you iterate and adapt on the fly. Right. Um, and you, and like going back to earlier, like you stay transparent and, you know, you call out the things that may be going off the rails and you highlight things are going really well. Um, so I, I really look at the, the board for kind of that, that feedback, you know, a lot of investors are kind of been there, done that, you know, or they've seen it across a number of, of, of companies. And so they can sort of pattern spot, you know, where maybe, you know, there could be an issue or maybe, you know, you're not clear enough on go to market for a certain thing, you know, those, those kinds of things that they can be very value add. So that's sort of, I mean, I guess to your question, like high level, that's how we thought about, you know, who we were taking money from and working with. Um, and then I think also just like with any hire you make, it's like, it's culture fit too, you know, are these, are these people on the same page as us? Um, you know, can we work well together? What happens if it, things get a little tense? Like how does everybody behave and work together and resolve stuff? So I think those are the kinds of things I, I was looking for. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, you mentioned before, I think in a, in a, in a previous answer that, you know, we were making some decisions in terms of like, how do we maybe go higher more upstream or, you know, um, at a higher level, what's, what's worked for you so far to make some of the best hires at, 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 uh, at Unstack? It's a good question. Um, I think what we are looking for, are, are really, A, I think most importantly, people who are, are super passionate about our cause. Um, I've interviewed some really amazing people who I just got the sense of like, they weren't 
they weren't really in it. You know what I mean? They were just really kind of casting a net and having conversations. Like you, you, you got to try to spot that early because, you know, I, I think what has been really exciting for us are people who are bringing their ideas. And then sometimes their ideas are like, you don't even, we're not even sharing those and they're coming to us with, you know, very similar ideas or ways to level up what we're doing. So you know, I think we're, when we think about hiring, we're, we're looking for that, like, that natural curiosity within our cause and our context that like they just want to, they want to get in and they, and they really understand the customer and care. And that's, that's sort of across the whole organizations from design to customer success and marketing mm -hmm. and engineering. Um, you know, I think everybody on our team like genuinely is excited about what they're building, who they're helping. You know, I, I you know, I think the skills, you know, I think you have all kinds of different levels of people and that changes as the business grows. So early on, we're looking for, how do we find really, really A is somebody, you know, really passionate and aligned with our cause. B are they able to, you know, really own their work, you know, and, and come in and, and think not one or but like maybe a couple steps ahead, right? Um, and mm -hmm. and be that sort of self-starting, self-thinking kind of contributor. And then B like can they scale? Because we're we're going to be an organization that's changing all the time. And are they comfortable in the unknown? I think those kinds of traits, those soft skills actually compensate a lot. You know, the hard skills are important, um, but I actually find the soft skills that'll be more of the difference maker in terms of that person's success with us long-term. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, just out of curiosity, how personally, when you're meeting with somebody, how do you know that, um, you know, they're, they could stay there for like the long-term, like, motivation wise how do you ensure that they are motivated like yeah passion and you know all these factors you mentioned i think are super critical for that but anything else that you've you've caught recently you know through this whole process of growing your team that you're trying to like look out for or pinpoint they're like okay that person's going to be like a core member of the team they're going to grow they're going to be motivated and they're going to stay for a long time I think there's, well, we're learning just like anybody, you know, as we, as we go through this, I think there's a couple of things. Like one is, um, I think being invested in those people personally, like knowing where they want to be, cause everybody's got a vision for themselves, you know, or at least has thought about, Hey, what may, you know, what, what would my next thing be like, or kind of, am I happy where I am, where do I want to go? I think should have those conversations honestly with folks and, you know, you can, you learn a lot from it. some people are like, I don't really care about managing. I just really want to work on big problems, you know, and, and other people are like, no, my goal is to be build up, you know, a team of product managers, you know, or, some, or, or build out a design team, you know, the very different paths. And sometimes it's a combination. I think knowing that stuff is important. Uh, I think the other thing is like, not everybody has to stay forever in the long term. You know, yeah, you want people to come on and stay with you. But like, sometimes it's there's a season for everything and like sometimes people come in and they do amazing work and it's a great experience and they go on to the next thing after that as the business changes and grows and you know we've had people um go through that with us we had somebody who stayed for a year was an amazing tactician and contributor very you know more junior wanted to go work at a much larger company and get a different experience 
and we said, hey, you're our first alumni, right? Like our, uh, alumnus. So, you know, thank you. And like, we'll always welcome you back, go learn some new things. And, and you know, that person's a fan of the business now. So um, I think you just have to look at it from like multiple lenses, you know, that, that's at least that's my thinking, that's my perspective. Yeah, that's true. I mean, people gotta, people gotta go. I mean, would you, would you like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I was saying, um, (laughs) sorry, I think there's a little bit of a lag, but, uh, we were talking before the call, you know, about like how hard it is to hire and, and, and growth and stuff. Like, what, what do you think? Are those some of the things that you see too? How do you look at it? No, definitely. Uh, yeah, for sure. Grant, I, I know we've, we've been fortunate. We've had some pretty good tenure in the team. And then I think for, you know, for certain people, it's like they want to maybe focus on one specific thing, you know, um, and that's what they want to perfect as like their skill trade, or maybe, you know, um, they want to be more generalists. Um, and so I think at that time, it's working with them and saying, hey, what do you want to, what craft do you want to learn new? And then if there's an opportunity in the company to give them that opportunity, then yeah, you know, win, right? But if not, then, you know, it's always a, it's always really hard, you know, personally for me, when people leave like uh but i think it's the inherent nature of evolution like, of people's career and learnings and you know there's always uh there's always an upside to it in in my point of view that they're gonna go and they're gonna you know get better at what they do um and i always like seeing people as you said like alumni wise like moving in different companies and like seeing their growth it's always knowing that they start off with us for like the first three, four years or however long and that they moved on. I think it's, it's huge. It's a, it's a win for me. And like, regardless of what happens. Totally. Um, I wanted to ask about, um, you know, at Unstack, you guys are moving really fast. Um, you're rolling out new features, you know, product wise, roadmap wise, there's a lot of improvements that I've been seeing. And that I think is like a big competitive advantage in general, right? Um, as a company at, at your level, because there's some other comp- companies in the no-code space, like you know, a big one is like Webflow, but they're more for designers. Whereas I feel like Unstack is a lot for marketers. Um, but how do you stay current in terms of like uh, keeping on top of like what's needed, what are like the things coming up from the sales and marketing standpoint or community? Uh, how do you ensure that you're always like on point in terms of like what what's the what's the next thing to do? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think there's a lot there that you can unpack uh, in that in that question. I mean, I think for us as a business, we've tried to move really fast from from the beginning. We try to think about we just had a meeting where you know the theme of the meeting was was thinking about leverage in your work, you know, and and like. Our components tool is an example of that where, you know, we can build uh, a component once and we can ship it out to 10,000 users, right? Um, Same for a theme, Uh, you know, so we're looking within, you know, we did that for integrations. We built like an integration builder that then allowed our customer success team to actually go in and add integrations when customers would request request them rather than developer hard coding those in. Um, so we try to think about like where we can get leverage on our time and, and, and scale on some of these things. Obviously, that not all things are created equal there. Um, I think also we moved up until recently probably too fast in some cases. You know, there's you know 
the old like move fast and break things I think is good, but like moving too fast and breaking everything is really, really bad. Um, especially when you're a company like ours where people's like mission critical marketing is, is, is hosted by us. So, you know, we've had to really strike a balance of, uh, agility with some, you know, prag, you know, pragmatism about, you know, how we're putting process in around QA and, and, um, and, and resources to make sure that, you know, as we grow and scale, we can still stay fast, but we can also deliver at a high quality. Um, so I think like, that's how we've looked at it on, on the product side. But you know, the, the big thing for us, you mentioned community, like just across the board from customer success, sales and marketing, like, we've tried within every function to have, I think, really good feedback loops with our customers. Like we're very accessible to our customer base, like more probably than any company that I'm, I'm, I'm aware of. I mean, I'm sure there are other people doing it really well, but that's something we pride ourselves on. Like, every meeting I have, like we talk about our core values, the first one on there is deliver well. Right. Like, and that's something we look for also in the people we're hiring, like this is somebody who's going to really deliver well, go above and beyond for, for customers. Um, and so, you know, I think that's been really helpful for us to keep a pulse. Um, we don't get it right all the time. You know, we, we, we do retrospectives on, you know, product and marketing, like, Hey, like what did we do wrong here? Did we, did we get something wrong in terms of where we spent time or build things? Everybody does get some things wrong there, but the goal is to try to be as dialed in as we can on like where are people struggling, where where are people getting a lot of value, you know, are there things we should be doubling down on, cutting, so on. Um, Community has been really interesting to do to doing that well. Um, a lot of that's happening in, in Slack, and there have been pros and cons to that. We we had another uh, article or blog, or maybe it was a podcast where we talked about all the all the failures of trying to build a community. And it was really we tried to do like a forum too early. We just didn't have like enough of an install base to get any momentum there. And then we did like a Facebook group and that didn't work. Slack really started working because all of our customers use Slack. And now we're at a point too, where like Slack might not be the, the right thing for the next step because there's no posterity. Like there's no way to, you know, for people to, I think, engage and solve problems within the community, um, you know, where that persists. So we're, we're looking at like, well, how does that grow and how does, community kind of feed product and, and things like that. Um, so I would say like, yeah, we think about speed a lot. It's part of our value prop. Like we want to help marketers move super, super fast without code or, you know, having in-house designers on, on staff to help them. So it's in our DNA. Um, I'm a very impatient person. Um, you know, Zach, he's also very impatient. My co-founder Steve is too. So I think that comes through a little bit and like everything, we want everything done yesterday. Um, but you know, I think that's, uh, in, in today's world, right? Like speed is kind of, you mean, you mentioned it, right? Like speed's competitive advantage and certainly for startups, but even big companies too, right? Like everybody's trying to adopt entrepreneurial thinking, agile methodology, right? Like it's been around for a long time, but now you see like major companies like being like, Hey, how do we move faster internally? What are the tools we need for that? Right. Right. Um, I'm really curious though, to ask about, uh, you said you sometimes ship things that are just, uh, are not ready or you ship too fast and you know, it might break things. So what's like your definition of like, it's good enough. <laughs> like, yeah. Even if it's not perfect, like what is your like, uh, balance there? I think for us, uh, you know, does it, does it solve the intended problem? Even if it's not like the most graceful solution to doing that right like can we can we learn enough and then say to the customer like hey like how was that and they're like oh well, like a lot of times it's like hey you're on the right track but like, hey you know you're missing on um 
you know, these three or four, like what we thought were edge cases, maybe really aren't like, maybe they're more common and we didn't do enough customer mm -hmm. like interviews to, to kind of nail a couple of those. So then we'll go back and do it again. But, you know, I think we're in a pretty fast release cycle and in a sprint cycle where, you know, we're able to do that, you know, whereas if we were only getting a couple releases out a quarter, like that risk goes up substantially. You know, you, if you miss, yeah. you know, you're kind of delayed. And again, for us, it's like, Hey, boom, it's out there. Okay. We got 80% of that, right? Like we're missing on this 20%. Like, let's get another, let's get another cycle going on that and get that out there. So I think we've tried, that's sort of how we've uh, approached it where there's sort of a, a no tolerance zone is in like infrastructure failure or like bigger, bigger things there, uh, integration failure. I think those are the kinds of things where like, you know, if there's a risk of solving one problem over here, but introducing a bunch of others somewhere else, like that's an, that's a non-starter for, for us. So that's kind of the, the rubric, if you will, that we, we try to look at things through, you, go, I, I, you know, I've, I've had a talking to by my team multiple times of being like, Hey, you're pushing too fast. Like we, we gotta, like, we gotta slow down and QA this a little bit more. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. You know, we're not 20 customers anymore. You know, so, you know we gotta, we gotta be a little bit more careful. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's really difficult. I think sometimes finding that perfect balance, I think in your case, especially you, your, your solution powers marketing websites, which get a lot of attention, visibility, you know, interactions, uh, for a lot of your end users. And so if something breaks, if something goes down, it's like dollars missed potentially. Right. Um, do you, do you kind of, uh, how do I put this? Uh, from like a downtime perspective or uptime perspective, yeah. what's like your typical, like, you know, SLA that you are trying to always abide by? Yeah. I mean, our, our, our goal is not, I mean, 99%, 99.99% uptime. We, 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 we don't, we, you know, to be honest, we haven't hit that. Um, you know, I think like we had, uh, we had some issues just so, just a week ago, you know, where a, a portion of our infrastructure around load balancers was intermittently failing. And so every so often someone might get like a 504 error, like you could argue that's, that's not a hundred percent uptime, even though sites weren't down and, and, um, so we're learning, we're investing a lot there. I think that's, you know, delivery isn't like, it's not a, it's not a sexy product feature, but like having stuff super fast, always working, right? Like where you're not thinking about it, it's like a luxury, like it's, it's actually yeah. pretty mission critical for us. So that's become, you know, early on, I was talking to, to somebody and they were like, oh, like as much as this is like a marketing platform, like there's also this, you're building like an infrastructure company, like as well, whether you realize sure. it or not. Um, and so, yeah, you're totally right. Like the marketing site is kind of, there's really, I think in today's world, there's no transaction, whether it's offline or online that happens where a prospect or a customer isn't interacting with the marketing site or some subset of that with blog landing page, right? Something like that. So it's, uh, everything kind of runs through that. And so it's obviously super important. Oh yeah. It's, I say it to our clients all the time because we build a lot of marketing websites and I, I always want to position a marketing website as being your like, you know, primary business engine, you know, and that 90% of like the lift of explaining your service, your value proposition, everything should be done by your website. Uh, totally. so that your sales team just has to do the remaining 10%. Um, and it's a concept that's hard to grasp funny enough for a lot of marketing people, especially, um, uh, the ones that think that it's like you do it once and you're done kind of thing. Like we've had some clients before that we built it, we, sh we shipped a, a really large site and then they didn't touch it for like months. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? 
And yeah. I think more and more uh, with some of like the, the scale ups that we're working with, it's always like, okay, cool. Like, what do we need to improve on? How do we optimize? What do we add next? And having a roadmap for your marketing website is something that people really, really need to start considering. And I was thinking of an idea for maybe Unstack as like a place for marketers to go and put in like their roadmap that they want to have into their own marketing website as like a, a place that people could look at, okay, like this is like the next thing you want to add. And then, um, um, you know, something that internally they could start looking towards. I, I love that. Yeah, because it, it, it should be a living, breathing thing. Like marketing, I think more marketing teams are, but also should continue to adopt more like product thinking and in, in terms of how they're how they're approaching it. Um, we just like ran an, an A/B test the other day on our homepage, and the the variant was because um, you can do that like one click now, you know, non stack. Um, and the variant was like, "What has your website done for you lately?" Yeah. Right? And so, like, I think that's yeah. an, it's an interesting thing. Think people should be thinking about like, what am I? Like, what am I getting here? This isn't like a static, like thing that's beautiful that's on the, on the internet. Like this thing should be working for me. I should be learning from it. It should be personalizing. It should be split testing, right? Every, we should be squeezing as much as we can have every opportunity because as, and as a second time founder, like you think about this probably a lot more than as a first founder, like distribution is what everybody's concerned about these days. Like it's more expensive than ever to get traffic to your site if you're buying it. It's harder to stand out and keep attention. You know, it's so much content out there. How do you differentiate, right? Like how are you capturing your audience and building audience? So, you know, if you're, if you're doing all those things to build audience, but then they're getting to a stale static experience, it's not working for you. You know, it's sort of like you've only solved for half the equation. Yeah, and it becomes like a massive disconnect. Um, question about, you know, community. And you said that you went through a lot of learnings about how to wear and to create a great community. And I think brand is super important as well. Uh, you know, there's a strong correlation there between brand and community because you want to have like really, uh, you, you want to have champions, right, of, of your business in, in, um, in, in many forms. Um, I wanted to ask you how how do you keep that uh, always um, at their forefront in terms of them giving a shit, you know, essentially about where Unstack's going and you know how they contribute to your future growth? Because if they have skin in the game, then they'll continue using your product essentially, like long term. Uh, how how do you make that successful so that maybe other founders can can learn from your past failures or you know? upcoming successes yeah i you know i think we're this is an area where we're we're still learning you know like it, it, i think it's a and it's something you're probably just always working at improving on um you know i i think what we try to do internally what we're trying to do to, to put out to our, our community is is to really you know again like if you really understand your customer you kind of know where they're struggling what their pain points are um, so I think we kind of lead from the front on that charge in terms of like, wait, everything we put out there, not every, we're not, every piece of communication is not an opportunity for us to sell, right? Like we don't look at it like that. You know, like we sent an email out yesterday, there's nothing salesy about it. It was like, Hey, we just recorded this latest podcast and it's really relevant if you're trying to 
an MVP. I think it was your podcast. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Look at that. So bringing it all back, you know, it was like, hey, if you're trying to validate, move faster, build an MVP, like here are some secrets from an expert. We we sat down with with Aram and and and, and learned these things, right? Like we're not trying to sell anybody in that. We're just trying to say, hey, these are what 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 marketers and entrepreneurs and startups are trying to think about. We can maybe help there. So that's about trust and goodwill and helping them know like we're in their corner with everything that we do. I think the other thing is just, you know, again, like if you want other people to do it, like you have to do it first. And so like we try to be, you know, I'm in the community. I respond to messages. Steve's in there. Like we try to get in there and foster that discussion and make it a place where people know, hey, if I have a problem or I put something out there, like I'll get a response. Um, and I think like as people see us doing it, more more people and others will also chime in and say, hey, like, oh, here's how I did it, you know, or um, you know, here's a, here's a, here's a different approach you could take, you know, or here's how we built a component. So, you know, again, I think it's one of those things where it's, you, you just do it and grind on it for, you know, month over month, you know, week over week. And it, and it starts to, to grow and build and snowball, you know, over time. Um, and so I think consistency is probably the most like, you know, maybe under considered thing and building any kind of community or audience or company, right. For that matter. Yeah, for sure. I think um, just being uh, diligent and persevere in terms of uh, going through those initial, you know, growth challenges of creating community. Like you don't know if it's going to work. You're not getting the results maybe that you're trying to like see, but I think just sticking to it and just perfecting it and getting better of understanding how to connect with, you know, your end users in your community. I think it just takes time and just trial and error, right? Uh, exactly as you said it. Um, there's a couple more questions here, Graham. Thanks so much for all this great insight. Um, I wanted to ask you some kind of like unusual questions, um, but uh -oh. okay. I want to kind of see what, what you would come back to me with. Um, so you, you went through this incredible journey with grapevine and you had to do those layoffs and you know now with unstack you're really like picking up you know and growing the company what would you do if your company went bankrupt today hmm. i mean in a lot of ways i think my approach would be very similar to what happened at at grapevine you know i spent so half my time was was spent you know obviously thinking about what i need to do next to, to kind of figure things out on the business side but the first probably two weeks after that, the other half of my time was actually trying to help my staff find new jobs. Uh, so I think, you know, look, I, I, people think a lot about, you know, the next quarter, the next year, the next couple of years, I, you know, think out 30 years right now, the relationships that you're building, you know, well, you know, I, the first thing I would do is sort of think about, okay, what, how do we make sure the team is, what do we, how do we help the team here? You know what I mean? Like, I'll be fine, but like, let's, Let's figure that out. You know, so I think you're, you know, look like everybody's oh, our people are our most important asset. Like, well, something like that, that's the worst thing that can happen. Like prove it, show up, you know, um, help them out. So I, I think that would probably be the way, you know, I would handle that situation. Um, hopefully that never happens. Yeah, no, it's like, it's obviously something that we as CEOs dread that moment to come, but, uh, you know, it's always a possibility. So I, I think your team would really appreciate you saying this because I think it's exactly what I would do in the situation and just, just make sure there's a good transition for those people. Um, last question here for you. Um, I have no idea how old you are, so 
Um, I'm gonna take a guess here, but with all your how old do you think I am? I don't know, <laughs> maybe mid thirties. <30s? laughs> am I close? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I think I know the question you're gonna ask. So it's 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 a funny one because I'm 33. Okay, perfect. So like, my question is, um, what would you tell to your 30 year old self? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Usually, it's like, what would you tell your like 20 year old self? And there's all this like decades that have, you know, have gone by. I, look, I think back. just a few years ago, even like I've, I've, you know, I've learned a lot. Um, you know, I think starting from the, the ground up, building, building on stack. Um, I've said this before in other, other interviews, you know, I just think patience is this really important thing for founders. And it's a really interesting balance. You know, I'm not, I'm not a patient person. I want, I really just, you know, always pushing, right. Always pushing, trying to, get where I want to go. And I think there's, there's a couple things or one that's good. I think that's natural for, especially in, in leadership, you know, you have to know where you want to be, where you want to go and, and you have to be relentless to get there. Um, but I also think you need to be patient. You need to like check in with yourself and say, and, and kind of remember that you're on a journey and it's going to, you know, anything good. Like there's nothing that any of us have done in our lives. That's been like really, really worth it. That's just been like the super easy thing, right? Like if you want to get into a great exactly. college or you want a great job, like nothing is easy. Um, building a family, right? Like startup, like it's all hard. Um, the, the stuff that's worth it is hard and it takes a long time. So I think that's something like, um, you know, patience is really important and just like, enjoy the journey, you know, building anything is, you know, you have high highs and you have some low lows. And I try to like, you know, uh, I try to like be that trend line. That's my goal is always be the trend line between the peaks and the troughs. So I can be that, then I'm really happy with myself. Um, so see, so those are the two things I try to, I would say to my 30 year old self. Well, no, that's, that's great feedback to pass on to everybody who's going to be listening. So, that's wicked. Thank you so much, um, Grant. I really appreciate you being on our show. Um, I'm sure our audience is going to love some of the insights that you provided. Um, for everyone listening, this was another off the record episode. It's a podcast with the goal to build a community of founders and VCs around it so they can help each other make better businesses. Uh, so thanks again, uh, Grant, and uh, I'll see you next time. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks for having me on, Aram. We are proud.